Fab. How do you know all this stuff? Um, well, that's a great question. And we're going to start right there. Greetings and welcome to The Wizard in the World. I'm joined this morning by my very dear friend, Minchi Nguyen. Good morning. Good morning, Emily. How are you? I'm good. You were just saying, how do I know all of this stuff? And it's so funny because I don't. And it's just that when something excites me, I I just go for it. So I've had like, I had someone write to me and be like, oh, it's so great that you've been working on getting the podcast out into the world. And I was like, no, I literally bought a microphone <laughs> and decided to do it. Do you know <laughs> that's the best we, way of, of, of entering into these sort of unknowns is you sort of do it and see what happens. Absolutely. I mean, and there's so many things in my life where if I had overthought it, I would never have done it. I mean, actually, almost everything. I mean, I think if I had overthought becoming a barrister, I would never have done it. I would never have moved to Egypt if I'd, you know, overplanned it or overthought it. I mean, even all of my relationships. I mean, who would, let's face it, who would rationally get into a relationship if they were, you know, yes, it's such absolutely. an irrational thing. Totally. Mm. And and especially when you enter into a relationship, you go through a stage of psychosis, ultimately, technically. And it is a completely bizarre sort of symbiotic enmeshment of two individuals and you know it's it's crazy and and if we didn't have this humanness and sort of um quest for romance nobody would be in relationships at all that's so interesting and I mean the word psychosis sounds quite scary but I suppose to some degree we do I guess, lose our minds. But it's very interesting what you were saying about independence, because that was a theme that came up on my last episode. And it ah. was exploring when you were saying enmeshment, and we were exploring independence versus interdependence. And I think it's something that our generation struggles with so much, which is how do I, how do I learn to balance myself and with another in a relationship? And it's not something that's taught. And it's not something that I don't think our parents' generation really valued either. I think they had a very different view. No, not at all. And, you know, we're expected to have this um, perfectly um, balanced relationship when, in fact, sometimes, you know, our own internal workings are actually quite asymmetric. And, you know, and, and to go from that point, it's it's very challenging, which is why we see relationships fail often, you know, marriages fail. Mm. gosh that's profound but, so but that's not to say that it's not beautiful and and worth pursuing of course <laughs> we just have to do it in the best way that we can <laughs> well I mean I'm a I'm a hopeless romantic and I met someone recently who was going through is going through a very painful breakup um she was about to get married and it all kind of came crumbling down very unexpectedly and she was kind of saying how do you do it and how do you get through different heartbreaks and I said well in some ways I mean actually this is this is something that I heard um there's an amazing person on Instagram called Jenna Zoe who I think everyone should go and check out but she said one time in one of her Instagram stories that a heartbreak is a beautiful thing because it literally breaks your heart open and what Mm. more could you want in life than having an open heart 
because That's it's beautiful. that that allows you isn't it beautiful it's that totally. that allows you to connect to be vulnerable to you know to I told her I've never regretted loving the people that mm. I've loved and I've never regretted I mean there are some experiences I'm sure that people look at on the outside and think oh well you know what was that about but in that moment it was real and true and genuine and mm. with an open heart and I've never regretted that Totally. And I think also, you know, when we go through these challenges, when we are sort of um, faced with conflict and, and difficult feelings, what, um, what we are also exposed to is a realms of possibilities and opportunities, you know, to grow, to experience mm. new things, to be, you know, to be a better version of ourselves, to have better compassion, all these sort of um almost silver linings are actually really important for our for our growth as human beings and and for us to sort of experience the richness of life really mm, that's beautiful I mean I because I know you I know and I don't know if you're happy to talk about this or not but you're a therapist and I am yeah and a wonderful one at that <laughs> Um, oh god I, I'm not sure what my clients would say about me but um I, I enjoy it very much and it's been quite a journey to get here and and one which I've treasured you know every step of the way and like you were saying at the beginning if I had sort of been if I had thought about it sort of overthought about it then maybe it wouldn't have been um, a choice that I would have made but I think through the the risk and through the hardship it's become something that I um, treasure and find very meaningful. Mm. Can you tell us a bit more about your journey and how you, I mean, why you chose it and then how you came to pursue it? Of course. So in my last life, I, um, I so I studied economics um, at university um, just because I just thought I wanted a subject that was rational. I wanted a subject that fulfilled the expectations of my cultural um parents sort of thinking um I wanted to keep them happy ultimately um, can you just tell us a bit more about that because people who aren't listening sure, won't know of course so I am Vietnamese um, my parents came over here in the early 90s um as refugees um I I was also on that um on that journey so I, I must have been six months when they um wow when they came over we were part of the boat people actually um, I don't know if anyone remembers it but um, there was a whole sort of um, wave of boat people Vietnamese refugees coming to the west and we were wow. part of that movement so we came over via boat to Hong Kong where we were able to um, to be accepted as refugees of the war um, and we were granted um, residence in the UK so we came over to the UK. I must have been about eighteen months at that point. Um, wow. I think we lived we lived up north for a few months. But my parents always desired to live in London because they were able to find low level paid work easier. So we um, we moved to London, and they were seamist. Um, there were lots of factories at the time um, in Hackney. I think there was still the textiles um, industry back then. So we lived in East London. I um, I must have been sort of um, nursery age. So I actually went through the whole sort of, um, you know, I'm very grateful for this, but I went through the whole 
system, the sort of education system from scratch. Um, and so I didn't, so although there was a lot of um, unbelonging sort of unconsciously and generationally, um, at least with my education, I didn't start sort of halfway through. Um, whereas my oh, brother, yeah. he was five years older than me. And I feel always quite sorry for him because he had to come into an existing class where, you know, he was completely othered. Um, and, mm. and that must have felt terrifying for him but othered in, in quite a classist way. So obviously we were poor, we were, he wasn't able to speak the language. You know, I, I presume there were sort of judgments. Um, so of yeah, course, so I, at the time. Yes, and kids can be quite um, vicious actually. Kids can be cruel, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I've always felt grateful that um, I wasn't sort of um, exposed to that level of hardship at that at that early stage in my education so yeah so back to back to your question so I, I did an economics degree um I fell into sort of the finance sector I, I ended up working in a hedge fund almost accidentally um I didn't really know what I was doing I was just applying for things and I landed some of these financial jobs and I ended up in a hedge fund and I just thought I just feel so empty you know I, I used mm. to go into the into the office and I, I looked around me and my surroundings and I just remember thinking it just feels so lifeless. Not only sort of the aesthetics, but the the essence of the place. It just felt so, so meaningless. Yeah, so soulless and so meaningless to me. And, and I never really enjoyed the work. It was always, I, I felt that part of the work came quite naturally to me. So I've always been quite a sort of um, numerical person and I found sort of um, numbers and, and and sort of that sort of thing spreadsheets that sort of thing quite natural and sort of um, intuitive but it never served me in the sense that it, it never made me feel sort of alive it was never a passion of mine and at the mm. time I was going to therapy I had this amazing um, therapist actually um, she was sort of maybe in her 30s, late 30s. And I just remember her having this amazing um, facial expression. Her smile was very smoothing. And I don't know, it gave me a lot of comfort to go and see her. And I just thought, wow. You know, I fantasized about um, what it would be like to be a therapist. And then I just, like you, Emily, I just thought, do you know what? I'm just going to just gonna go and see what it's going to be like. So I, I signed up to a psychoanalysis course at Birkbeck. And then it started from there. And then I, I moved on to sort of doing integrative therapy. And, and now I'm sort of also training to be a couples therapist. So here we are. <laughs> That's so amazing and such an interesting journey to it. And it's funny because it really is the right things falling into our lap at the right time. Totally. And, and, I, th and I think we should always sort of listen to that. Yeah, well... One of the things, I mean, so you were saying that you, you're doing couples therapy now or the training for it. Do you feel that that's given you different insights into your own relationships? Totally, it has. And, and I am quite conscious that, you know, there's an element of me that wants to preserve the beauty and the experience of my relationship. And, you know, what I don't want to do is deaden it by this sort of over-intellectualization. I want to hold to the feeling, to the rawness and, and to the beauty of of the humanness of it. But of course, you know, I do sometimes ponder 
what the dynamic was, you know, how how did it come to be the way it was, you know, on a theoretical level. But yes, of course I do mm. it naturally, but I'm also conscious that I don't want to over-intellectualise because I want to sort of experience it in its sort of rawness as well, especially my current sort of exchanges and romantic um, interactions too. Yeah, I mean, I can totally relate to that. I, I have a similar thing, albeit from a from a lawyer perspective, which is not lawyering my partners. And mm. I think especially when, and, and it's funny because friends of mine who are barristers, we often talk about this. There's your, your mind and your brain are trained in such a way as to look for flaws and to look for mistakes and mm. to predict everything that will go wrong and basically preempt it. And it's always a, a battle, you know, at the end of the day, a case is you want to win. And it's, uh, especially at the beginning when I was younger in my relationships, it was, you know, I couldn't help, I couldn't help but kind of see all the flaws or like, you know, see everywhere that I thought it was gonna go wrong. And it was such a rational intellectual con like conceptualization of things. And it's the complete, I mean, that's, it kills a relationship, you know, a relationship lives and it thrives does. and survives off the magic and off the unknown and off the the mystery um totally. so yeah so it's been a constant it's but it's very interesting because I think even in the way that we I mean it's very interesting bringing the therapy element back in because as you know but as everybody listening probably doesn't know I did therapy for five and a half years and I joke that my relationship with my therapist was longer than any of my previous relationships. But she taught me so much and I learned so much from it. And at the same time, there was an ex-partner of mine once said, I mean, I was about to say he joked, but it was actually in the context of an argument. And he said, you've almost done too much therapy because the rate at which I would process my emotion was almost like unfathomable to him so mm. if we had like an argument I would quite quickly you know I might have a kind of a, a, a peak of anger or of frustration but would come down quite quickly because I would suddenly understand his perspective or be able to take um, some distance or you know to just rationalize or understand and that would frustrate him because he would be feeling all these feelings and didn't know how to process them and then I was there like you know really calm and he was like, what the fuck, you know, mm. how? But also, Emily, don't forget, um, you know, it's very alarming and, and difficult for partners when they feel that they're at a different level to their partners. You know, that can be quite a source of discomfort. Mm. Well, I think, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all mirrors to one another. And I think that, in my last relationship, what I what I say to people is, you know, when people say, for example, oh, it was, you know, from the outside perspective, maybe they could see where it was wrong, or maybe they could see where there were there were incompatibilities. My response is, but I loved, and I loved with all of my being. And that in itself was a lesson to just be able to try and accept someone as they were, wherever they were in their journey, without mm. forcing them or judging them to be somewhere else. 
Yes, I think that's that's so important. And you know, often we um we project all these ideals into the other, and actually what we forget is this sort of unconditional compassion towards them, which is so powerful and, and you know, so needed in in a loving romantic relationship. Compassion is like my word of the moment, I think, actually. It's just I think it's something we can all do with more of. And when you approach, or I'm finding that whenever any situation that you feel frustrated by in your life, if you approach with compassion, will inevitably soften. I mean, I had something recently in a, a challenging personal situation, and I thought, well, actually, can I just soften my heart? And instead of going in with all of this, again, like, I suppose a hardening or a constriction, can, can you soften? Mm. And in softening, you allow the other person to soften. And so I actually had an interaction where I hadn't spoken to someone in maybe a year and I ended up calling them because I just thought you know what like it's time to call them we'd had this obviously this this very like fractious relationship um and I called him up out of the blue and his when he picked up the phone he was like what do you want like literally that was the that was the you know the greeting what do you want why are you calling me and I thought, whoa. And so I just softened and I said, well, nothing. I'm just calling to say hello. I just wanted to see how you were. It's been a really long time. And because I was able to soften in that moment, he immediately softened as well. And we ended up speaking for like 35 minutes and having like the longest conversation we've had in a really long time. And it was so peaceful. Oh, and it was so, so nice. Yeah, it was so, so nice. And actually, I mean, that's, the flip side of the therapy is as much as therapy for me was amazing and I'm so grateful for all of it. I did feel that by the end, because of where I was at, it was almost like to some degree feeding my anxiety addiction because it was actually in some ways reinforcing negative patterns. So as much as I would maybe change it wasn't reflecting or allowing that other people around me might change because it was right. always in a framework or a context of what those people had been like before. And so I realized in the end that that was, I wasn't able, and maybe that was just the particular therapist that I was with, or, or maybe that's mm -hmm. also a reflection of my character or the way that I was kind of framing things. And, you know, because at the end of the day, what therapy is also stories, you know, we're framing a story to the therapist and they're mirroring mm -hmm. it back to us. Sure, sure. And I think, you know, we, we, therapy isn't right for us at all stages in our lives. And, and sometimes it serves us and sometimes it disserves us. And I think the important thing really to understand is, you know, what's the meaning behind this activity or this, this sort of process that we're going through? And if it no longer is compatible with where we are at, then, you know, there's no harm or there's no sort of... Um, you know, there, sh there shouldn't be any sort of difficulties in saying, actually, this isn't quite right for me and um, something else might be better. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, one thing that therapy teaches us or hopefully teaches us is um, this sense of autonomy, this, this sense of authenticity, that um, we have the permission of choice. And whether it's a difficult choice or not, we still, we still hold that, um, I love that, that choice. We have the choice to step in or to step out. I mean, it's Treating. funny because I've actually had several therapists. Um, it's very interesting, actually, because my, my parents sent me, my parents divorced when I was between the ages of six and eight. 
And I say between because I think it literally took them two years. And the way that they knew how to deal with that was to send us to therapy. I think my my mum acknowledged that she maybe didn't have the resources or or the capacity herself. And she was kind of like, I don't want you to be fucked up. I'm going to send you to therapy. So I started very young. So I was like eight years old when I went to see my first. And then that didn't last very long. I think they kind of said, oh, well, I think they actually maybe said something like she's fine, but she'll have a breakdown when she's 18 (laughs) because I was so like just absorbent in some ways. And then I saw several other people. That's a very punchy um, projection to make, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I remember my mom telling me that when I was 18 and something, something around, yeah, something like that. It was really quite surprising. (laughs) But so I didn't go when I was younger. And then I went again kind of in my um, early teens when my sister was born because Again, people who are listening probably don't know, but my sister was born um, quite disabled and unwell. And so there was like a whole shift in family dynamics. But that was with a woman and I wasn't so keen on her. And then when I was 18, I went to see a guy in London and I adored him. He was he was amazing and he was also a hypnotherapist. But the thing is, he almost, it's funny because he basically, he kept telling me how great I was and how great I was doing. But by doing that, I didn't feel that I actually had permission to then be not okay. Mm. And he kept telling me, oh, you're so strong. And if I had a daughter, I wish she'd be like you. And I was thinking, God, no, I hope your daughter's like, doesn't have to go through all of this stuff, you know? But it was, uh, but that also provoked like a shift in person because at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a choice, but it's also still yeah. a form of connection. Yeah, and I think what you're describing there is that by being sort of overly um, enthusiastic and, you know, almost by colluding with you, this this therapist disarmed you. He disarmed your own sense of, you know, authority or, mm. um, you know, sense of, um, sense of choice. Yeah. I mean, I think it also plays into friendship because I've been having this conversation more and more recently where... I try as much as I can to remember whenever a friend comes to me with whatever it is, I say, do you want me to listen or would you like me to offer a perspective? Because oftentimes we do just want to be listened to. And so I've had, like even me now, when I go to people, I'll say, listen, I just need you to listen. I don't need you to judge this person. I don't need you to judge me. I don't need you to mm. give me any opinion, but but I have a need, that's my personality. I have a need to get out of my system. And I just need you. I mean, it's so like hippie trippy, but basically quote unquote, hold that space without Mm. needing to kind of respond or react without going, oh my God, oh my God. You know, just, can you just hear it? Can you just hear it Mm. and let it be? And and I think there's something so, I was just going to say, I think there's something so powerful about someone witnessing a thought or a feeling or an emotion. Just simply just be the witness. But they're so uncomfortable with it. I mean, I say they, I mean, so am I sometimes, you know, it's, it's, that was also something that came out of um, one of my, one of my heartbreaks was I was so devastated. And, you know, I think any heartbreak, big or small is devastating. And, you know, people always, I always say, it doesn't matter whether you have a broken finger or a broken leg, Um, you know, it doesn't matter how big the break, essentially a break is still a break and it still hurts. Mm -hmm. And pain is so personal and relative to the person but I was feeling this pain and people people just couldn't people couldn't bear it it was like 
the fact that they were around pain or faced with it was it was too scary for them to look at because of their own mm. relationship and what it might mean it was too painful because of maybe their own repressed feelings and it was just gen generally uncomfortable they didn't know what to do with it and it was kind of this, well, well get over it get over it and it's mm. like well not only can I not right now but also I don't want to right now because right now I'm feeling this and I want to feel it mm. and I think you know sometimes we simply forget to ask the other you know how can I support you you know what do you mm. think I can do for you? what do you need from me in this moment sure what are your needs because you know mm. we have these sort of preconceived ideas of of what we should be doing but actually we never really ask the question of what you know what what would they like what you know what would serve them in us it's so true it's funny because we I feel so I've known you now for I feel like maybe seven years actually I mean it's been a long time it has hasn't it it's been it doesn't a really feel long time long because it's just no sort of I don't know it's just it's always felt quite natural and and sort of authentic um but yeah, I mean, if we count the years, it has been quite long. It's been a while. And what's funny is that we share a birthday. Me and, too. <laughs> and what's funny with that is that we've noticed that we tend to go through similar processes at similar times. And I've always find that found that so interesting. And I know that we were talking yesterday about feeling a general heaviness in the air. Mm. And I was thinking this morning about how that kind of interplays with Leo season. We're both Leos. Leo's season has just started. It's the Leo new moon in a couple of days. And yeah, how are you feeling today? You know, I think part of the reason I felt so um, sort of low mood yesterday was because I was just simply so tired. So I decided that I needed to go to yoga in the morning because I had a busy day. So I forced myself up at 5am and it's that sort of thing, isn't it? You know, we, we get lost in why we do things, you know. We tell ourselves that we must. We must go to yoga because it will make us feel better. We must go to yoga because it will, um, mm. you know, it will improve our health. It will make us look better. It will give us a sense of achievement. But actually, I think by going to yoga in the morning, it, it probably deserved me. But also, I think, in addition, there was something that I felt in the air in, in so much that um, I noticed it was the same sort of sensation that I got, in my, especially in my sort of head area, um, that I would typically get um, during the full moon. And I just, I, yeah, I questioned it, and that, which is why uh, I sort of questioned it with you as to, you know, what, what's going on here? Um, mm. And, and you suggested me to rest and, and have some nice food. And, you know, and last night I, I consciously made an effort to go to bed early and I felt great this morning. And That's yeah, wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. And, and you know, you know, when I was sort of sat in that sort of space of heaviness and exhaustion and low mood, you know, I, I almost thought, gosh, like, is this here to stay? Is this permanent? And, and that gives you that gave me a lot of anxiety of like, you know, what's, what's going on here? Um, am, I, am I going to be in this constant state of, of low mood and, and exhaustion? And, and, you know, again, we forget that things are often temporary. And I, I find that with my work as well as a therapist, you know, when we explore these things, we explore pain, we look at timelines, you know, often the reflection 
is that suffering is only temporary and brighter days will always be there um, if we allow them to. And often, you know, often people experience better days. And I think, I you think know, when we go when we go through these experiences, it's it's so important to remind ourselves that things are temporary and 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 you know although we might be feeling awful at the moment it you know it, it's not it's transient it's very, but I yes. think that's the tricky thing is you know is is um I know myself I I have been self-describing myself as an anxiety addict recently because of something that I realized about myself and you know it's it's a it's a funny thing the we don't like feeling that way but the mind to some degree does like it you know it's it's a very powerful all-consuming state of being and you mm. go down this rabbit hole and then you're, you're and I think it does I mean I don't know enough about the physiology behind it but I wouldn't be surprised if there was some form of kind of like even a hormonal surge even if it's adrenaline or something like something that that it floods your body with something and your body says more but it doesn't know if that's good or bad more it just says more 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 mm. and so the mind feeding it feeding it feeding it and it's how do you break out of that feedback loop because I know that when I have those moments myself I will you know once you're out of it it's fine and you can look back and you can laugh at it and I do find humor one of the best antidotes um but when you're when you're in it it's kind of this and I know that when I spiral I tend to reach out to like two or three close friends and then I kind of feed the spiral because I tell them why I'm spiraling but then again, because I'm telling them I'm creating more of a narrative around my spiral and then I'm reinforcing this story. Sure. And then it just kind of goes on and on. <laughs> and you're just like, oh my gosh, how am I going to stop? But um, so there have are you, ways. Have you, yeah, have you developed a sort of healthier coping mechanism for that? Yeah, and I think, I mean, I, I'll start by saying it's very individual because I think I think some people don't face their emotion at all so for them it would be actually sit with it and let yourself feel it and there sure. is definitely space for that when it's what I call I think basically for me the test has become is this something that I feel in my body and that is something that I want to honor as a kind of a, an emotion that generally needs to be processed whatever that is and maybe I need to cry maybe I need to whatever it is honor that but a lot of the time it's actually in the mind or in the head and it's not something that I really feel but it's a story that I'm creating and the quickest way that gets me out of it I mean there are a few but um doing something to help someone I love so basically taking your mind off of yourself and onto something else so mm. in a way of helping someone else so you know like whether that's calling someone up and checking on them or you know going to help your friend walk their dog um just getting out of the house moving shaking when I say shaking literally shake your body I mean that's something we do in yoga all the time it resets the nervous system shake your body get it out I will put on my favorite music and I will just dance around the house and there is something for me personally about dancing that is just so freeing it kind of taps me back into this space of, I always have this image of myself dancing on a dance floor, completely free, kind of twirling, whirling around in a circle with like light beaming out of my chest and pure like ecstasy on my face and just smiling and beaming from ear to ear. 
yeah i'm always so envious of people who love dancing because i find it the most sort of anxiety provoking experience but whatever it is that you love like for me it's the dancing and so i i kind of tap back into that image and i think and i remember myself in that state of being it's really it's kind of remembering a happy moment or a happy state Mm. and then tapping into that frequency and letting that bring you up yeah Yeah. i mean you find dancing anxiety inducing what what do you I love? think it comes from yeah I think the reason I do is because I think you know I've I've never been sort of a rhythmic person sort of physically and um and dancing has always felt quite sort of unnatural for me so what what do I do so what do I do when I'm anxious is that the question or what do how do yeah, I what, or, or imagine what do, you know, what do you so for me you know the dancing is something I love what is something that you love that would or like one of your happiest memories that would bring you back into that kind of elevated state I think it comes back to connection I think you know what's really powerful for me and what fills me with joy and happiness is um the relations that I have with other or the other and I think just sort of the um the visualization of of my friendships sort of my you know of my relationships with my you know my loved ones that fills me with a lot of joy and sometimes it can just be like an image of their smile or mm. a, a memory of a conversation that we had or I don't know um the voice or, or, or the sound of a laughter that we once shared that sort of thing feels really um feels really sort of uplifting to me that's beautiful. And that's a beautiful note, I think, to bring this conversation to a very soft close. But before we do, the way that I'm ending every episode is by saying, ask me anything. So is there anything that you would like to ask me before we go? What would I ask you? Okay, so on the topic of sort of joy, pleasure, meaning, mm-hmm. um, What feels meaningful to you right now? Oh, do you know what? This podcast feels very meaningful to me. And I feel so much joy when I record it. And I actually pulled um, an Oracle card. I mean, there are some, (laughs) some people will be listening to this being like, what's this girl on about Oracle cards? But anyway, I pulled this Oracle card and it basically was, it said, follow the joy. And you don't need to know where this is going. You just need to know that you love it. And oh, I love that. I love yeah. That. And I think we spoke a lot about following the joy and the authenticity of our desires. Mm. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Yeah. So I think that's really inspired. The... <laughs> I'm so happy. I mean, it's funny because it's just, it's really, it's, you know, when, when things, I find that when I'm doing something really creative or that really gets me going. So for example, when I was doing my books and now with the podcast, I do not feel time go by. Like genuinely, I could sit here for hours and hours and just talk to you all day and I probably wouldn't get hungry. I would just, I would just be here. Um, I think that's a really good sign of, of mm, sort of being really present and mindful. I love it. When we forget, you know, our, you know, to some extent, our physiological needs because we're so <laughs> because we're so excited and passionate about absolutely. Else. And you are, as I was saying, a Leo like me, and it's your birthday in just under two weeks. Not that I'm counting, but I am. I'm going to ask you three questions. 
Sure. What is something that you want to bring forward from the last year into this year? What is something that you want to leave behind? And what is something new that you want to bring in? Right. So you might have to remind me of these questions. So the first sure. one I remember is um, what would I like to bring from last year? So last year I went through a huge breakup and it was sort of a difficult time um, for me in general because it was lockdown. I think part of it was lockdown, if I remember correctly. Um, and my father had um, been diagnosed during lockdown with cancer. So I think one of the things that I'm actually really proud of is my ability to be resilient in the face of hardship. And I'm really sort of, um, I feel so much more sort of um, unapologetic about owning that strength in me. So I think I'd like to sort of keep going with that and keep sort of exploring that and and keep sort of um, embracing that. Um, Beautiful. The second one was, what is something that you want to leave behind from last year? I think I felt, a, you know, even um, even though I felt resilient and, I, you know, as though I was able to endure hardship, I think I still felt quite self-doubtful. Um, there were mm. aspects of me, I think, from the loss of the health of my father and the loss of the relationship. I think I was quite unkind to myself to some extent. Um, you know, I questioned whether... I was a good enough girlfriend. I questioned whether I was a good enough daughter. So I think what I would like to leave behind is the the sort of um, the, the shadow of me that questions and criticizes the self. Mm. And remembering that you are enough just as you are. Totally. And, and, and maybe I'm not enough, but that's where I am. And, and, and to, to, to meet that with compassion, you know, even mm. if there's, there's more growth to be done and, and you know, I need you know, to be armoured with more, you know, more things or, or or more resilience or whatever it is that, you know, I meet, I meet that with compassion. Mm. But I still, and I, but I would still say that you are enough right now, notwithstanding that we will always grow and always learn and we will, life is a roller coaster. I mean, who knows what's going to happen or, or where we'll be or, or who will become, but just because, you know, we can't compare ourselves now to the end point of who we'll be, you know, totally, when we're like totally, 99. Yeah. Who you are now is enough. You are doing the best that you can. You are learning from your everyday. And even in the moments when you say, well, I didn't do the best that I could. Well, that was still the best that you could in that moment because yeah. you didn't know otherwise. Isn't it interesting how even, you know, how we slip into these sort of unconscious sort of feelings of deficiencies even when we're talking about topics like this and thank you thank you for reminding me that you know that simply being is enough absolutely and so the third question is what is something new that you would like to bring into this new birthday year I think um what I've sort of um, realized over the you know the few years recently is that um, there were moments in my life where I've forgotten to simply play. And it's, it was only when I um, took up roller skating that it occurred to me that, you know, as adults, we forget this sense of play and, you know, this feeling of, of doing things as a, 
as simply um, a means for play and pleasure and creativity. And and I think um, what I would like to sort of be more conscious of is to allow for more play and creativity. And mm. that doesn't that doesn't have an outcome other than you know the pleasure of the moment. Yeah, just for the experience. I mean, something I actually mentioned on the on the last episode was that our soul says yes to an experience, not to an outcome. And it's really giving yourself permission to just experience it. And what you were saying reminded me of how I joined a band recently. And people, you know what? <laughs> so many of my friends thought that it was a joke or that I was joking. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put anything past you, Emily. <laughs> But it was real. And even my boyfriend was like, are you for real? Are you, are you in a band? And I was like, yeah. I was like, why not? And people were like, I didn't know that you could sing. And I said, well, neither did I. But I'm just, I'm good. You know, it was, it was fun. And it was, it was saying yes. And it scared me shitless. But there was such a sense of pride and courage in doing it. And you know what? It made, it made my whole life less scary because it was like, okay, if I can do this thing that scares me, but that also brings me great joy and pleasure. You know, you're kind of opening yourself up to all of life's synchronicities. Although I then did say to someone as a joke that I had taken up belly dancing classes and they did, they did actually, but they were like, I don't know if it's true or not true because with you, we never know. And but that's anyway. the beauty of your, of your personality. I think, you know, that, um, you know, you do open up yourself to, infinite possibilities and, and that's what makes you thank you interesting and 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 you know a pleasure to be around thank you that's so touching thank you so much for being here thank you for coming on thank you for your no, time you and your energy me. and I will link all of your details in the podcast details for anyone who wants to find out more about you and maybe if they want to get Fabulous. in touch if anyone's looking for a therapist you know where to look um, and you. wishing you a beautiful, beautiful day. Thank you for joining The Wizard in the World. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe. Thank you so much for all your support. We can't wait until next time. Until then, don't forget to stay magic.